I came across a list of things I thought you might find interesting. It's titled, Dumb Things Smart People Do With Their Money. Dumb thing number one, you buy financial products you don't understand. Two, I should put these in the we, huh? Dumb things we do. We take financial advice from the wrong people, maybe a buddy or friend instead of an expert. We make money more important than it is. Three, four, we take on too much college debt. Five, we buy a house when we should rent. Six, we take on too much risk. Seven, we fail to protect our identity. Eight, we indulge ourselves too much during our early retirement years. Nine, we saddle our kids with our own money issues. 10, we don't plan for the care of our aging parents. 11, we buy the wrong kinds of insurance or none at all. 12, we don't have a will. And 13, we try to time the market. That comes from a book a woman wrote that uh, works for a radio station and just she kind of compiled a lot of funny stories about smart people that sometimes do dumb things with their money. But if we are honest, managing money is hard. Most of us have not been taught about how to manage money by our parents. Some of us maybe were taught about it in school, but we weren't paying attention when we were in school, when we should have learned it. And often we have to figure out how to manage money once we become adults on our own. And money isn't just hard to manage for those reasons. It's also hard to manage because we live in a culture where our culture tells us you never have enough of it when it comes to money. And what you do have, you should spend all of it, our culture tells us. And if there's something you want that you can't afford, our culture often tells us you should borrow it in order to get what you want. But scripture from time to time tells Christians how to manage their money and what we should do with our money. Jesus spoke about money quite often. The book of Proverbs and Psalms is, covers a lot of money as well. And the Apostle Paul devotes two entire chapters of his letter to the Corinthians, describing for them how they should be generous with their money, which is what we're going to look at today. Now, it's good to be reminded, Paul is a Christian man writing to Christian believers in a Christian church. So maybe if you're here today and you're not a Christian or a believer, or you're kind of trying to find a home church, this message is for those of us that are committed to a local church and that are committed to following Jesus Christ. If you're feeling out Christianity, you're trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, we're glad you're here and we don't expect you to give because that's a Christian obligation that we have. We're in this sermon series, Straight Truth for Wayward Issues, where we're looking at the differences between culture and what scripture says about these issues. We've covered the topic of retirement, work, marriage. Next week, we'll look at parenting. And today, we're going to look at money and giving and what scripture tells us about money and giving. We're in Paul's letter, the second letter that we have in scripture written to the Corinthians. 
Paul had met the believers in the city of Corinth on his second missionary journey. He spent 18 months living there, getting the church established. And the city of Corinth was kind of interesting. It is located in a little narrow part on this peninsula, where it's about a seven-mile peninsula, where you could park on one side and the ocean's on the southeast side, and you could carry your cargo across this little peninsula and reach the northwest side instead of having to travel a couple hundred miles by sea around this big long half circle you could just kind of cruise right across this little seven mile strip very similar to the panama canal that we're aware of and there even is a corinth canal that you can google and look up how they take these ships right through it now but back then the city of Corinth was located in that little narrow strip of land, and about half a million people lived there. It was a big, booming, strong, thriving community. And these believers in the city of Corinth had become Christians through Paul's ministry. And they had, at one point in time, earlier in their interactions with Paul, had pledged to give money to support the poor Christians in Jerusalem, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. And as Paul writes this second letter to the Corinthians, he's going to encourage them to continue that giving and to continue doing what they have started. And really what Paul tells them, I'm going to give you the big idea of what he says so that you're not nervously listening to me about when I'm going to demand you pull out your checkbook. What Paul really says here, the big idea, is that giving to God's people should be something we do abundantly even when we are in poverty, regardless of our circumstances, because of the grace that we have received through Jesus. We're going to look at the Macedonian example of giving, Paul's exhortation for giving that he gives them, as well as the Messiah's example of giving in these nine verses. So let's first look at the Macedonian example of giving in verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. In verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we have expected, but they first gave of themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. In these five verses, Paul describes the circumstances of the churches in Macedonia and then the contribution of those churches. Now, when we read scripture, it can get confusing at times because sometimes we'll talk about a city, sometimes we'll talk about kind of a geographical region, or sometimes we'll talk about a country. And when he references Macedonia here, that is a region in which there were churches there located that Paul had started on his second missionary journey the church of Philippi, the church of Thessalonica, and the church of Berea. 
And those churches kind of in the northern area were in a more rural area, were a little bit more impoverished. But they continued to give. And Paul references this grace in verse 1. To you, the grace of God. That word grace is going to get used five different times in different ways in this passage. And at the end of chapter 9, when he wraps up all of his discussion on giving, he's going to remind those believers that it was because of grace that they should be giving. And it's good for us to remember as Paul talks about these people living in Philippi, Thessalonica, and in Berea, in that region of Macedonia, that religion in the first century and in the Roman Empire was very different than maybe we understand it now. As we live in Moses Lake now, we might meet someone that's a Christian, and that's a distinct religion. Or we meet someone that's Mormon, and that's a distinct religion. Or we might meet someone that's a Buddhist, and that's distinct. Or maybe someone that's a Muslim, and they're all kind of compartmentalized. But in the first century, they would kind of acquire and accumulate gods, especially as the Roman Empire took on new areas and new territories. They would take on more gods and kind of just add that god to their gods. So they would have a group of gods they would try to appease or give to or keep happy. There might have been a god for fertility. If someone was trying to have a child, they would do things to try to appease that god for a child to be born. If they hadn't had rain in a while, they might try to do things to appease the rain god. And because these were smaller communities, especially in Macedonia, they would do that together as a community. But you can guess that there was a problem that would occur when people begin following a man named Jesus, a religion named Christianity, which has one faith and one belief that leads to heaven. These people as Christians began to be distinct and unique and outcasts and even ostracized from their communities because they're no longer participating with everybody else for all the gods to appease and patronize those gods. And because of that, they faced persecution and scrutiny and being pushed out as members of the community. And Paul subtly references that here in verse 2, where he says, in a great ordeal of affliction, those believers in Macedonia, even though they were in their affliction, they had an abundance of joy. They still had joy in the midst of affliction, and they were still generous in the midst of their poverty. It says in their deep poverty, they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, most people in the first century lived in poverty. They didn't have a huge middle class, kind of like we have now. It was kind of like the elite, a small group of people that served the elite, and then most people lived in poverty. But as these people began to be Christians, they were almost forced further into poverty. It's kind of like when you're driving through the fog that we've had the battle the last few weeks. You'll be driving in the fog, and it's kind of okay, and then you'll hit a patch where it's even denser, thicker fog. It's like these people, they were in poverty, but because of their beliefs, they're driven and pushed further into poverty. Yet Paul admits that they still were giving, even in their poverty. 
And what we learn from them is that grace is sufficient for giving. No matter where we are in life, our faith in God is enough to provide us the ability to give something. And that giving something we do is because of the grace God has shown to us. God's shown us love through his grace, and we show that love that we've received by giving to others. So those are the circumstances there in verses 1 and 2. And then Paul describes their contributions in four ways, starting in verse 3. First, they gave more than was necessary. Paul writes, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave more than they necessarily had to give. Two, they gave without anyone asking for them to give. These Macedonians did. He says at the end of verse 3, they gave of their own accord. That Greek word for accord there means it's something that someone makes on a decision on their own without any outside influence or pressure or obligation. These Macedonians, they gave spontaneously, they gave without prompting, they gave without pressure, they gave without any guilt trips or pushing. A third way that they gave here is in verse 4. They gave and they wanted to continue giving. It says, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Have you ever known someone that begged to give to a charity? That's apparently what they were doing here. They saw it as a privilege to get to help. Paul support the saints in Jerusalem that were poor. Those poor churches in Macedonia saw it as a privilege that because of their faith in Jesus, they were able to serve others through their giving. And lastly, they gave more money than expected, and they gave more than just financial need. In verse 5, And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave of themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So at some level they gave finances, but they also gave of themselves. They gave their possessions and their persons. And I think we can learn from Paul's words here describing the churches in Macedonia that giving is something we do even if we don't have much. Giving is something we do even when we don't have much. Paul is using an argument style that was common in the Jewish culture and the Greek culture where you would argue from the lesser to the greater. If these poor Macedonian churches that are in poverty continue to give and they give more than is requested and they give because they want to, how much more should you guys living in Corinth, in the rich, booming commercial city of Corinth, give to help those churches in Jerusalem. So in light of that surprising generosity of the Macedonian churches, Paul now turns the focus towards the people in Corinth. And we have this exhortation for the giving of the believers in Corinth in verses 6 through 8. He writes, So we urged Titus, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work 
as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. See, the Corinthians were not poor. They were probably somewhat wealthy living in the city of Corinth. And there was some beginning of giving that had begun when they first were met by Paul. And Paul's reminding them that they had done that in the past in verse 6. That was the beginning of their giving when he was there and when Titus had come back and Titus had began this collection. And he wants them to resume that giving that they had begun. In verse 7, But just as you abound in everything and in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Paul says five things there. They've got faith and knowledge and love because of the abundance of goodness that God has given to them. They should be giving to others. Then he gives them this gentle motivation for giving in verse 8. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Paul didn't bark orders at them. He didn't command them to give. He didn't shame them to give. Instead, he offers an opportunity for them, not necessarily makes it an obligation. There was a pastor I once knew of of the last church that I worked in, in that town. I had never met the man, but I heard the story from several people. If someone didn't show up to church that day, he'd take a tithe envelope out to their house and he would scotch tape it to their door. A little coercive, don't you think? Now, I never met that guy to verify it, but I had heard it from a couple different people who think, man, that, some part of that must have been true. Pretty strong-armed to make sure the people give if they didn't show up. But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he provides for them almost a benchmark for them Referencing, but as proving through the earnestness of others. He's drawing in those Macedonian believers up in the north. Even though they were poor, you should give like them. It wasn't a contest among rivals, but instead he's wanting an imitation among equals in these churches in different areas. And what we learn from Paul in verses 6 through 8 is that generosity is required by all believers everywhere. Generosity is required by all believers everywhere. And in this case, Paul is asking the believers in the city of Corinth to make a contribution to go help some believers in the city of Jerusalem, to help people they have never met. There's no personal interest in them, for them. And that's a good reminder for us. When we faithfully give to a local church, we help and serve a lot of people that we will never even meet. Whether it's people the church helps directly through our benevolence fund or church members that go out and visit other people. Maybe it's through our three missionaries that we support 
faithfully that do missions work throughout the world or local missions that we help with as well. Christianity Today published uh, results of a survey in February of 2022 that said 26% of evangelicals never give anything to the church they consider they're a member of. Now we all have struggles and, and money's tight, but generosity is required of all believers everywhere. And lastly, Paul brings in not just the Macedonians' example of giving, not just his own exhortation for them to give, but the Messiah's example of giving as well. In verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, don't, oh, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That four at the beginning of the verse describes why the Corinthians should excel in giving. It's because of Jesus Christ and his death for them. What Jesus did tells them how to respond and it tells them how they should worship God through their giving. Just two chapters earlier, Three chapters earlier, Paul wrote about Jesus to them. He said, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And again, Paul brings grace in here. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give because of the grace we have received, not because of obligation. And when he talks about Jesus, he references how Jesus was rich. That describes his heavenly existence with God in heaven. And it describes Jesus being poor. That was his lowly, humble life here on earth when he took on flesh and became like us. But there's a focus there in the middle of the verse. He says, yet for your sake. The emphasis is on the people. Jesus did that for you and for me. That we would become rich. But that's a spiritual richness, not a financial richness. Sorry if you're hoping to get rich through our tithe time. This is a spiritual richness, not economic wealth. It describes the Corinthians' richness of salvation secured by Christ both now and in the future. See, God's gift of salvation requires that we give him something. Jesus gave everything. It seems simple enough that we can give him a portion back of what he's given for us. But that requirement that we give him everything is something we should do on our own initiative, not because we're coerced or forced by the church or people to do so. Paul wants those Corinthians to give under their own desire and their own beliefs. And that's likewise for us too. We should give because we want to be out of the grace and the love we've received from Jesus. 
not because there's a thermometer up there that's showing us how much we're giving and how we should give more. God wants us to give because of what he's given to us. It's kind of like if you're married and your wife says, it'd be nice if you brought me flowers to work and you show up that day with flowers. It's kind of nice and meaningful. But if it's just a Thursday at 2 o'clock and you show up with flowers for no other reason, it means a lot more because you're taking the initiative to do it on your own. God's gift of salvation requires we give him everything. And you and I, as people that live in America, we live like kings and queens. It's good to remember that. Compared to the rest of the world, we literally live like kings and queens. I came across an article in the Columbia Basin Herald a few months ago. In San Francisco, there's a restaurant where you can take your dog to get a nice meal. For $75 per pup, doggy dinners, I'm sorry, for $75 per pup, doggy diners get a multiple course meat, bon appetit meal, featuring dishes like chicken skin waffles, filet mignon steak, and quail eggs, if you, in case you need to pamper your... That's how rich we are in America, where our dogs can eat filet mignon. We live like kings and queens, and because of that, we should be generous to give to God and his ministry. So what do we know about the Corinthian response? What did they do? Did they give? Did they reject Paul's warnings? They did, did they decide to give to someone else? Five months after Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, he wrote to the believers in Rome. He actually goes to the city of Corinth, and he writes this letter to the believers in Rome that we know as Romans. But in there, there are two little verses that tell us how the Corinthians responded to his letter. Romans 15, 26 says, for Macedonia and Achaia, again Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. Now, Achaia is again a geographical region just like Macedonia, and there's a certain large wealthy city located inside the region of Achaia, Corinth. The Corinthian believers gave generously and willingly, just like Paul had asked them to do. They followed through. They gave because of the grace they had received. As we end our time together, I want to tell you a story about a woman named Alice Clemens. Alice Clemens' husband died when her youngest of six children was very small still. She lived in Canada, so during the day she worked as a nursery worker, and at night she often worked as a maid to pay their bills and make ends meet. And she was part of a church that had Wednesday night prayer meetings, and at one time there was a young missionary couple named Paul and Audrey Reed that were coming through her town and to her church. They were trying to raise money in the 1950s to go to China to be missionaries. 
So Alice went to the prayer meeting and she listened to this young couple talking about how they want to go to China to be missionaries. But Alice wasn't really in a good spot to give anything. But she said, God, I'll be obedient. I'll give $1 a month to this young couple to help them be missionaries to China. Alice continued her life, and 30 years later, that young couple, Paul and Audrey, came back through Canada to her church, but she was elderly and sick, so she couldn't be at church. So they went out and they visited her in her home. And Alice was fortunate to learn that that young couple had been trying to raise money for a long time to go to China to be missionaries. They were discouraged. They hadn't raised enough money in the time that they needed. And they said, we're going to go to this church on this Wednesday night service. And if nobody pledges us money, maybe that's our sign that this isn't what God's will is for us. But we'll still go. And Paul and Audrey were able to say, Alice, your $1 a month was the only pledge we got that night. But we took it as God's simple sign that he still wants us to go to China. And they spent 30 years doing missionary work because of her simple $1 a month. See, we never know who God is going to affect through our giving. That young couple and all the people they reached because of Alice's contributions. And we never know how God is going to reach others through our giving, even if we think it's small, as small as a dollar. Let's pray. God, thank you for your your word that tells us what to do in so many situations. There's a lot of things going on that tell us what to do with the resources you give us, but I'm grateful that you give us reminders of how we should give and what we should do with our money. Please give us the confidence to, to take those steps for some of us maybe that, that know it. We should give, but we're not sure what that looks like. I pray that you would speak to us. Help us to live obediently to you, to manage the resources you give us in the way you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll invite you to stand for the benediction. Let us go in peace and in praise. Let us praise the Lord as his creation. Let us praise the Lord just as his heavens, sun, moon, stars, and his angels praise him. Let us praise the Lord. Amen.